when you're attacking the Trump administration, I got like an army behind me uh, that they're like, yeah, you know, there's not quite the army when I'm like, I support sex workers. That's a harder, it's a harder road. This was the hardest film I've ever And you ever did one on the Trump life. administration. Yep. And this was harder. Yeah. Sorry, more difficult, I should say. <laughs> it was harder and more difficult. Hey. But first, a word from our sponsors. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey, hey, whoreheads, fan whores. What's up? This is Billy Presida. You're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. I'm just walking in on a woo realization. Is Billy trying to self-destruct through oversharing? Let me come back to that in a moment. Welcome to the podcast. That's probably a concerning red flag sentence to hear if you're just showing up for the first time, which is in line with what I just said. <laughs> this week on the show, I have got on filmmaker Suzanne Hillinger. She's the director of the new Netflix documentary, Money Shot, The Pornhub Story. Fascinating chat about what went into the making of this flick, uh, as well as an in-depth discussion of the adult entertainment industry. Bring it to you very soon, very shortly. Folks, tickets are now on sale for our next naked comedy show at the Hacienda here in Bushwick. The next show is going to be on April 21st. We have an 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock show. Both of them are different lineups. It was very fun last month. Some folks bought tickets to both. They were like, I'm hanging out all night. I'm taking my pants off and I'm going to enjoy some naked stand-up. We got some killer lineups. Drexton Clements. Our guest last week, he'll be back. He's on the 8 o'clock show. Tickets are now on sale. You'll see a link in the show notes where all the links live. Things might feel a little too good and too comfortable for Billy. So it's like, oh man, how can I fuck this up? Is there any sort of unnecessary risk I can take to make my life a little bit more difficult if it doesn't pay off? What dopamine deficiency am I trying to fill here? I've been seeing a woman for a couple months who I met at a, a hacienda a while back. For all intents and purposes, let's call her Erin Brockovich. I think that's that's fitting. Let's call her Erin Brockovich. And, uh, you know, last night we went out to go watch the NCAA championship game. Congrats to UConn and LSU, by the way. We watched the big UConn win. And, uh, and one thing leads to another in all of our conversation. Like, I disclose something, um, a, a pinch of a secret of mine, a, a, a little something you don't get to know. And then I don't know how, I don't know why, but then things spiral into such an overshare. I'm just like telling her all the things like, yeah, let's, let's throw in bullying from high school. Let's throw in the breakups blow up from 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Can, like, can we sprinkle in a little bit of a, Oh yeah. I'm banned from a sex party. I've never even attended. Yeah. Uh, let's what, what else can, what else can I throw in here? unnecessarily out of nowhere, like I'm doing to you right now. What else can I throw in to sabotage something that otherwise feels fun and safe and nice? How much more of a red flag can I plant in front of my dick and be like, are you sure? I defy you to dig me. And maybe this is just a little bit of my anxious attachment style. Who knows? I thought I was, uh, I was making some progress on it. Maybe this is just a pinch of a stumble. But like I walked out of the house being like, oh, Billy, you did that thing you used to do. Looks like I need to go back to slowing some moments down. That has been a strategy that has worked. I don't know. Y'all ever do that? Y'all ever just get so surprised something feels good that you're just, you, know, you throw more, all of your negative qualities and all your uh, questionable 
historical events as if to be like, are you truly sure you want to do this thing with me? Which might also just be a whole manifestation of me being like, I think things are feeling pretty good in my life right now. I've got this like newly successful standup show that's been going on. I've, you know, we've got the podcast going. We're celebrating nine years next week. Isn't that cool? I've got a project that the Patreon people know about, and that's very, very close to uh, to being announced and launching and printing. And Man Horror Con 2023, Man Horror Con Part 4.5, do we call it five? The, the next Man Horror Con is coming up this August. Things feel good. I am getting back into my yoga, back into my gym routine. And if things are too good, as my therapist Evan asked me recently, he's like, can they stay great? Oh, that feels unsustainable, and that's a lot of pressure. Anyways, maybe I'll tell you more about where I'm at in my dating situation next week on the Podiversary episode, because I know some of you showed up. You showed up for Suzanne Hillinger, and I'm going to bring her to you uh, momentarily. But I, I walked in the door, and I was like, I, I need a microphone. Uh, my, my episode last week with comedian Drexton Clemens, Confessions of a Fuckboy, I love I love when uh when something has such an instant visceral reaction for folks. You know, like I woke up Wednesday morning and a past guest of the pod won't say who. I wake up to text messages from her with her reactions from the Drex episode. The next day, uh, a different past guest of the pod who has been on dates with Drex, she sent me long voice notes about the episode. Part of me is thinking how many people who've dated Drex are listening to my podcast who have also been on the podcast and are going to tell me what they feel. In our episode discussion channel in the Champagne Room, our Discord server, uh, Russ F., he writes, Listening to what Drex is saying about himself, aside from all the multiple relationship drama, it seems like behind it all is a hurt boy who grew into a hurt adult and needed positive relationship models and some emotional education and just general support that too many boys don't get. He seems self-aware, and I'm glad he's in therapy. He needs to stay in therapy and work on being in a relationship with himself. I agree with Billy. Stop the dating for a while and just get in a healthy relationship with yourself because all of the hurt and anger he's left in his previous relationships isn't going to stop happening until he does that. I hope he takes that self-awareness and applies it to his life starting today. He also says, uh, totally predicting that this is going to get read on next week's podcast. You're right. Speak it into existence and boom, there you go. So keep, keep your thoughts on episode 481 with Drex and Clemens, uh, Confessions of a Fuckboy. Keep those coming in. You can drop them in the episode discussion channel on Discord. You can tweet them at me. You can send me an email at manhorpod at gmail.com with your thoughts, your questions, your criticisms. And, uh, you know, just as a really interesting synchronicity on that on last Wednesday when it came out, I did see this tweet from at Candon Dorch, and she wrote, Please stop relationship hopping. Just go take time to unlearn all the toxic habits and insecurities from your previous relationships before you go shove them down your new relationship. Take time and heal. A good note to pair with the episode. All right. Can I clear the palette real quick? I'll do the quickest fan whore appreciation moment. This is the part of the podcast where I like to give a shout out to a member of my fan whore community on Patreon. Give a thank you to those of you who helped make this show happen week in and week out for nine years. This week, I want to give a shout-out to Emily Richardson. She showed up at the minimum tier. She showed up with her $2. She did her part. And then what happened? Hours later, she upgraded to the $5 tier. She's like, there's just too much bonus 
to let this go. I, I need to I need to hear these bonus episodes, Billy. And I hope you're enjoying them, Emily. Thanks for supporting the podcast. And you too, by the way, you can you can join for free. Did you know this? I I'm running seven-day free trials of my Patreon experience at the $5 tier. You want to check out these bonus episodes. You want to join us for Hot Movie Night. You can try all of it for free at patreon.com slash Podcast, or you can download the Patreon app. Find me on there. And on the Super Slut tier, you'll see uh, begin your seven-day free trial. Man Whore Con. A lot of y'all have been hitting me up in the Discord server. You've been uh, DMing me. You you got questions. So let me just let me just real quickly tell you what I got so far. Right now, I know that Manhorcon, our once annual pre-core uh, fan meetup weekend in New York City, it's coming back this year. We know that it's coming back August third through August sixth. Those are the dates. August third is a Thursday. That's going to be more of a nighttime hang. So it's okay if you show up on Friday. You're not going to miss too, too much. I promise. I'm just throwing in an extra drinking night because it tends to happen anyway. What I do know is that you're going to have to buy a weekend pass. That's always how it's worked. I do not have a pricing yet, but I am going to set up a link for that in the the coming weeks. By the end of the month, you will be able to begin to buy weekend passes to ManhorCon 2023. So TBD on that. What will y'all be doing? That is a great and fair question. Traditionally, I've kind of packed the itinerary with a whole bunch of events, but I've been realizing y'all really want a lot of time to hang out with each other. So I'm going to make the space for that. So, you know, each day is going to have like a daytime event and a nighttime event. There will be a live Man Whore podcast recording. I know that there will likely be another type of a performance. Maybe it's a comedy show. Maybe it's something else. I'll be announcing the events as we get closer to Man Whore Con, but you should be prepared for like Two to three things a day on the itinerary, all optional, but mostly I want y'all to be able to hang with each other. Are there orgies at Manhorcon? Not officially, but I don't control what consenting adults want to do with each other. I just try to set up like kind of a common sense consent policy for the whole weekend. And if you don't want to be sexual, if you're not going to be doing group sex, if you're not going to try to hook up, if you just want to come and hang out with like-minded, sex-positive people, you can do that and still have a great time. I'll be there, and so will many others. Lastly, uh, I will be likely getting a very big sort of Airbnb type of a situation, some sort of multi-bedroom headquarters where we can party, where we can hang out. Uh, There will probably be options to rent a room in that space when I have details for it. The best man horcons have had kind of that that type of situation going on. Anyways, that's all I know. More details will be coming soon. Weekend passes will will be on sale by the end of the month. Thank you for your patience. But like I said, for now, really all you got to do is you got to make sure you're taking time off of work. Keep your eyes out for like plane tickets. It's, it's actually, it might even be too early to book your plane tickets just yet. But what you need to know is August 3rd, August 6th, New York City. If you're looking for accommodations, South of Times Square, Williamsburg, Dumbo, or Bushwick, or Greenpoint. Those are probably the areas you'd want to get a place in. But that's it. That's all I know. Stay tuned for more info. Now let's talk to Suzanne Hillinger. She's the director of Money Shot, the Pornhub story. A couple weeks ago, you heard Siri. She returned a couple weeks back to discuss her role in the documentary. Now, Suzanne's interesting. Now, here's the fun thing. Suzanne is just a regular, she's a very vanilla director. She is not in the adult space normally, but she has this documentary on Netflix now about porn, about Pornhub. And so she's promoting it and she's like 
you know, speaking positively about sex work and how we should destigmatize sex work and, you know, how, you know, the discrimination against porn stars should be ending and all that stuff. So she's, she's putting a lot of that stuff on her Instagram story and Instagram shut down her account. She didn't share nudity. She didn't break the guidelines. Instagram censored the account. And have you heard a single fucking conservative GOP libertard nitwit say anything about the censorship? No, you have not. Because unless it is about scamming people for crypto or saying the N-word, it seems like all the free speech nuts uh, distinctly quiet. After a huge amount of outrage on Twitter and apparently a, a friend of a friend who works at Meta who was able to kind of like get the situation taken care of, she got her Instagram back. Two days later, she lost her Instagram again doing the same thing, just promoting her Netflix documentary. Netflix is promoting that Netflix documentary. The production company of the documentary has a whole account for Money Shot. They're not losing their Instagram account. But for some reason, a lady saying the word sex worker over and over in her Instagram story is triggering something because she lost it again. And then she got it back by the time she came here to record. So the beginning of this of this interview, the beginning of this conversation does talk quite a bit about Internet censorship of sex based speech which has been being censored far, far longer than QAnon conspiracy theory shit. Oh, and by the way, as of, as of Monday morning, I have not asked for an update since, but as of Monday morning this week, Suzanne lost her Instagram account a third time and still, to my knowledge, does not have it back. Let's go talk about Pornhub with Suzanne Hillinger. Totally. I mean, I had done my research. So I had, you know, had watched Hot Girls Wanted and the series that came out after it and um, had watched other films on the porn industry and read a lot about how folks within the adult industry perceive those films. And so kind of knew going into it, like, there have been issues with the way that mainstream filmmakers have approached the industry and I'm not from within the adult industry. I'm a real outsider. And so I knew that they were going to be suspicious of me and rightly so, you know, I wasn't like, why are you asking me a million questions about who I am? You know, why are, do you not want to return my phone call? I totally understood it from the beginning. And so I think I went into it very open about being like, I am an outsider. Tell me what, what is a story that you want to see? You know, what's important to you for folks, civilians to understand about the industry, about this specific story? What are we missing? What's not being covered in mainstream news about it? Uh, you know, what's your problem with the New York Times op-ed by Nick Kristoff? Like, I understood the issues uh, to a certain point, but then really wanted to rely on folks who live and breathe this world every day to tell me their story. And that's kind of how I approach all of my films. You know, I, I'm not an expert. Uh, I am a filmmaker who wants to help other people tell their stories and really want to give the ownership uh, and agency to them as much as possible. Uh, 
because like I'm not telling it's not a biopic about Suzanne Hillinger. It's about other people. And, you know, I want to make sure that they feel heard and respected. I love when like they, they beat me to uh, their own introduction. So I will say real quick, everybody, we are here with a documentarian filmmaker of Money Shot, the Pornhub story, uh, Suzanne Hillinger. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. What, what were some of the answers to those questions besides the New York Times? Because that's a whole bag of worms. But generally, when you were like, well, OK, well, what, what's missing? What is not getting told? What were the kind of common answers you got, even from people who didn't participate? I mean, the first one is like people write about, about us as if we're all being exploited, um, that we didn't choose these careers by choice, that, you know, we're sort of, I think, talking about the industry and the folks within in a really general way, as if everybody has the same general experience. I know that a lot of people were concerned with making sure there was representation across the industry. And, you know, what ended up happening with this film was that the the folks that were comfortable talking were people with privilege, were people who felt safe enough to put their faces on Netflix mm-hmm. that didn't feel like they were going to risk being ostracized from their family, being kicked out of their housing, you know, for being out in a very public way as a sex worker when there's a ton of stigma about it. Mm. Cause so, some of the main yeah. players are like, ex- they're vets like Sherry yeah. DeVille who like fake ran for vice president or something. President. Think, right? Coolio, oh. Coolio was her VP. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Cool. Right. Like, so like there was that and then, you know, series long established. So yes. And people who were like, well, you know, my parents probably already know, and this is already my thing. And I would imagine less experienced or less established folks would be a bit more nervous. Yeah. I mean, I talked to a lot of sex workers who were less established, who really had been relying on Pornhub as their main avenue of income, you know, pre New York Times piece. But they were like, I don't think I can show my face in this because I rent my apartment. And if my landlord finds out that I'm a sex worker, I'm going to lose my apartment or my parents don't know um, or my job, my my other job doesn't know. And it was like, I don't think that this is the right thing for you to be a part of because I knew that millions of people were going to see it. And, you know, I was up front. I said it was for Netflix. I didn't want to, like, hide anything from anybody. And it was like. I think this might actually be dangerous for you or they would t- tell me this isn't something that I feel is safe for me to do. What kind of representation were people asking that was out there? Like what kind of representation were they looking for? Was well, so you said like uh, some of some people were like, "Oh, well like I want to make sure like you are representing the different oh, parts yeah. of the industry." Like what different parts were they concerned with? I mean, I think different body types, mm-hmm. uh the LGBTQ representation, um I think financial diversity was something that we were looking for. Like I wanted to include people who really had been deeply impacted by payment processing being removed from Pornhub. But those people actually really are in a financially like unstable place that made it hard for them to participate. So that's the key. That's the piece that I do think is missing from the film that I wish that there was a safe way we could have included somebody who really felt like they were destabilized by that happening, but it didn't feel like it didn't feel possible. Yeah. I mean, that feels like a a whole other doc is it's the economics of porn. I don't think people understand like what goes into it, what it costs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, someone at when dudes are haggling over customs and they're like, no, I just, I want you to do all of this for 20 minutes. How was $50 good? 
It's like, oh, $50, you mean like, okay, so I keep 30 of that after OnlyFans keeps 20%, then, mm-hmm. you know, taxes, then whatever it costs for me to buy whatever weird outfit you wanted, excuse you. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think people understand that. And I think there are people who think that they're like, you know, and this is other parts of entertainment too, is you, you see somebody on a, on a screen, you think they're doing great. And it's like, I mean, there's this comedian, Mike Racine, who has this, he used to have this funny bit, like he did, you know, he, he was on late night and then he's like a garbage man slash mover. So he like the next day after he did a late night show, you know, crushes and then he still had to move this lady's apartment. So he'd be like, yeah, I know I moved this whole lady's dead husband's apartment. And at the end, she didn't even tip me. I was like, didn't you see my Conan set? But like, it's like, yeah, you see someone on TV, like, and the next day they go back to their temp job. Totally. I mean, I think even the folks that are really established, like these people are hustlers, you know, they have to diversify their platform. They have to make sure they're not getting kicked off social media because that's how they, you know, communicate with their audience. Uh, there's so much that goes into making sure that they can piece together an income um, like if they're lucky, they have an amazing OnlyFans fan base and, and they know that they can kind of rely on that as the base. But in, as these platforms go down or lose payment processing or something happens, I you know, Gwen Adora talked about it too. It's like it was important for her in the beginning to make sure that she had a diversification of income because she didn't know at what time what platform was going to become something she couldn't rely on. Yeah, and in all these social media platforms, we don't have those fans. Like we have their those fans there, but we can't <clears throat> like easily bring them. We don't have e- we don't get email addresses, right? And that was something that actually like I like about Patreon. That was one thing like Jack Conti with the CEO and founder said like he was like these are your fans. So if you want to take them to a Patreon competitor, like don't worry, you have all their deets, their emails mm-hmm. to take them over. But if you lose an you know my Twitter gets shut down, or I've had an Instagram shut down. I know you can relate to that. It's like, well, I guess I start from zero. I, it's not like I have those emails to hit them up and be like, here's the new one. And, um, you know, because they just want to keep you on the place. Yeah. And it's uh, it's really fucked. Yeah. How, how is your Instagram saga going? I mean. Is it back yet? It's back as of, I like say it with like so much hesitation. It's back. As of yesterday, this the, of the second time, the second right? time, because I I didn't keep track if you kept getting it back and losing it. No, so I <laughs> lost it a week ago, which is so stupid because my account was private. I have like three hundred followers. Ninety nine percent of them I know in person, like in real life, like they're my friends. Right. And so yeah, I had posted this like. Po- this cute post being like, I'm so excited by how many people are loving this movie. It's in the top 10 most streamed movies this past week on Netflix in the entire world. Like it's in top 10 in 65 countries. I was just being like, this is so exciting. Um, and I used the word sex worker and I didn't do the like asterisk where the e is or whatever i don't know you if probably said happened. it too many times or something i don't know once i, I have i, I say once. man whore every week mm-hmm. multiple times uh but it's it but it's all just a bot and they don't yeah. tell you why they just show you a slide and they're like this is against guidelines we're not going to tell you anything else yeah it's crazy so yeah i got it back within a day the first time because mm-hmm. a friend of mine knew somebody at meta Mm-hmm. and put in like a friends and family ticket and which exists that's a real thing everybody 
If you've ever complained, it, it's going nowhere unless you know somebody. I know. It's so stupid. And then it was back within a day and I got a little email from Meta being like, we, we suspended your profile by mistake. Oops. And then it was down for a few days and it came back yesterday, but I got no email. Mm-hmm. They weren't like, we pulled it down again by mistake. It just was magically there. So I am... I, I haven't posted anything. You're I'm, scared, right? Yeah, which is so stupid because I it's I don't feel censored in the way that sex workers feel censored when it happens because I'm not using Instagram as a platform to generate followers. It's literally just the way that I post dog photos to my friends. <laughs> so it's just an it's annoying. But it is indicative of how censorship talking about sex, even if you're talking about it in an advocacy way, which is what I was doing, is not okay on this platform. Mm -hmm. When I have a private profile, I only follow and am followed by adults. And I write the word sex worker in context of a documentary that I made. I mean, it's so frustrating. And I... certainly made me realize if I was that frustrated about that, I can't imagine somebody like Gwen, who's both of her accounts are still suspended, who had, you know, thousands and thousands of followers that she built up over years, the fact that she hasn't gotten that back yet. I can't. And I can now only begin to imagine how deeply frustrated that is. And can Jigsaw not hit up Netflix be like, y'all got some pull your Netflix? I mean, I have been talking to Netflix about it. What they, they say? Don't, they don't have pull. They don't do it. I mean, I don't buy that, dude. I know. I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't make it not be able to say. I Netflix. I don't have a show with you yet. Call me though. But like, I don't buy it. You're Netflix. You know, guys. You probably have people on your staff who maybe worked there in the past. Like, there's no fucking way. My, I have an ex girlfriend who's like. You know, is does OnlyFans. Uh, she's like a fat activist model type, so she posts very. You know, she'll post provocative. She follows the guidelines, but like because they have a skin detector algorithm thing, so if it if they think you're showing too much skin, they just kind of assume must be nude. But since she's fat, she has more skin, so they just right. So she can't wear the same bikini that you could wear and post, and like hers right. So I would. She lost it all the time. Luckily, she knew people, and she could always kind of tend to get hers back. Mm-hmm bonkers to me netflix can't get gwen's account back bonkers to me i mean i agree and it is and i have asked multiple times i think that they have very strict guidelines that they follow because it's like oh if we do this for this one person in this one film Mm -hmm. if you know people who are on the circle or whatever get their instagram taken down we're now going to be responsible for that i think they see it as a slippery slope i think also the way that like so what shouldn't that be like that should be a not that you don't have the answer but i'm just like that should be a perk of being on the circle i totally agree (laughs) crazy i wish that they could do it i am also very frustrated (laughs) by it uh they're a giant corporation and unfortunately it's as hard for me to get them to respond as it is anybody else and, and I think what happened with you is a real good example because, again, because you're – yes, you're a filmmaker, but you you don't use it to build a thing. And so I think it's a really good example of how what they said in the film and I think what Horace has tried to say on the internet for a long-ass time and we've been trying to shout and scream is that it starts here. 
this is how it gets to you. After um, after Sesta Fosta, we I don't know if you remember, like in 2018 and 19, we started seeing like these like weird policy updates from like Meta and Place. They were like, I don't know if we should let them use like eggplant emojis in the DMs because maybe that's them exchanging sex. That's how it trickles down to the just everyday human walking the streets. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's why I want people to care. You know, it's Mike Stabile's last quote in the movie is, the porn industry is a canary in the coal mine for the rest of us, mm-hmm. for the rest of society. And my, yeah, my private Instagram getting taken out. I was like, oh, yes, here it is for me. You know, they, it, it is, it is really um, unsettling. And yeah, I think it's people, it's something that a lot of people should be aware of, even if they have nothing to do with pornography and sex work. Has, I mean, has this topic come up with any, like your, friends in your everyday life who saw that you lost your Instagram a couple times? Uh, yeah, so many friends reached out and they were like, what the fuck? And it's like, yes, what folks said in the movie is true. It wasn't just a bunch of porn stars complaining. This is how these social platforms work. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it is something that could affect other people. So yeah, I think it, I think it was an interesting wake up call, certainly for my own circle. To be like Suzanne, who posts photos of her dog and her wife, and sometimes her dog and her wife, and that's basically about it, got deplatformed from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think if if I can get deplatformed, then basically anybody can. Anyone can, and then and that I think you know now I'm sure you're thinking twice about promoting your movie that you made that's on Netflix, it's not on Pornhub. You know, it's it's on goddamn Netflix and you can't promote it. And then it's like now imagine trying to like do advocacy work around like sex work decrim. They're like, well, we are actually technically promoting prostitution, which is like the language used in Sesta Foster. So we're going to do that. I was like when they passed, I was worried about this podcast. I had to email like the the podcast hosting platform in 2018. I said, hey, so this got this because in the language they use is like promoting. I promote the fuck out of prostitution. And uh, and and they were like, you're going to be fine. Apples, they're not going to do it. But I was like, okay. But it makes you scared. It does make you scared. And what's the next thing they're going to tell you you can't say? Right. I don't know. It freaks me out. You know, so Netflix came to you about this. This wasn't your doc. Nope. You've actually never done any. I I took a look. You haven't done any other uh, films like about the sex industry, about porn, about anything even really racy in, in that regard. I mean, the first short documentary, which is hard to find, but it is... It's on the IMDb. It's, it's 29 on, minutes. It's 29 <laughs> minutes. Um, and it was about cisgender drag queens. So wi- women who drag as women. Uh, oh. Like cisgender women who drag as women. Who oh, yeah, yeah, put, yeah. put it on. Um, uh, and there were people in that film that... I mean, there were like burlesque performers. That, there was a lot of like intersecting between burlesque and sex work. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know specifically if the folk, the three folk that are the featured in my film were not, I have no idea if they're sex workers or sure. not, but it's, it was part of their community for sure. Okay. Um, and other people I filmed with who are sort of ancillary Some characters. Soft an- overlap. But. Yeah. But, but no, I've never, uh, I have never made a documentary, uh, about anything about sex work this is very new to me is it a topic you had known that much about had you read much about it was something you had opinions about beforehand it's certainly a topic that i've always been interested in from like 
sexuality and gender studies was mm. something in college I was very interested in. Um, and I took a lot of classes about sort of the 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 art and um, like political movement behind pornography. Um, you know, I watched like a lot of old films uh talked about it in like a very academic way um but yeah i mean it wasn't i'm trying to think i mean i have a few friends who are sex workers yeah. but i never thought that deeply about like the work that they did i mean do they as in they're like they do porn in particular no or? okay gotcha, gotcha no in person but I, I never thought I never thought about it as in terms of like, oh, I should make a documentary about you. Right. Um, I was like, oh, that's my friend who does that thing. And I love them. And, like, you know, I never it was I, it was never a stigmatized issue for me. And I think I've just always been curious about, uh, you know, when I make a documentary, whatever it is, I just feel so grateful that I get a job that I get to try to get a master class in something that I don't know anything about mm -hmm. um, and can get to go to the experts to be like, teach me about this thing. And so I, I think I approach this similarly and I'm interested in lots of different things. So it wasn't, it wasn't beyond the scope of my interest to go from, for example, making a documentary investigating the Trump administration's response to the first 100 days of COVID to making a documentary about Pornhub I was like, yeah, this is my this is my scope of interest. Um, but yeah, when Netflix reached out to me, they reached out to Jigsaw and wanted to make a documentary. The production company. Right. Yeah, yeah, Jigsaw, yeah. the production company. They wanted to make a documentary about Pornhub and wanted Jigsaw to develop it and find a director. I think originally they were mostly interested in this idea that Pornhub had be had become so synonymous with the industry that it was kind of this like social media platform and it, it, it was it was modeled after like a Silicon Valley style user generated content push the algorithm push the Google searches kind of technology and but the product they were pushing was porn right not dog pictures <laughs> they were interested in that as like a tech company story kind of like enron or we work or something like oh, that. that would have been such a jack them off kind of story to tell they brought netflix brought the idea to jigsaw before the Kristoff piece came out oh so a long time ago it was like a few months before yeah i think the um the like girls do porn allegations had started to bubble up so they knew that there were there was potentially some nefarious activity happening on Pornhub. Mm -hmm. And I think that was maybe something they were interested in, which we don't get into in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I started researching it, if they were like, do you want to direct this movie? And I was like, let me take, take some time to see what the story is that I would want to tell. Mm -hmm. And what I was most interested in was, I read the Kristoff piece and I was like, how come... There's two porn performers quoted in this piece, and they're each quoted with like two words, but they're supposed to be representing the majority of the people who use this platform. There was just immediately something wrong that I was like, those are the people that I want. I want to tell their story because that's what's not being told. And um, honestly, because I didn't want to do the tech company angle, yeah. I put together this whole pitch deck about 
the porn performers. And I was like, well, if Netflix doesn't want to make it, then that's fine. I will totally walk away from this. And much to my surprise, they were like, we like this idea. Let's do it. And I was like, okay. It's like sexier <laughs> cover, you know? It's <laughs> Yeah. So that was your first interest um, in when they pitched it to you was the fact that the performer's angle wasn't really covered in that Kristoff piece. Yeah. I didn't realize that this had such uh, like, like, you know, this was so far in advance. Yeah. Yeah. I was approached two months after the Kristoff piece came out, mm. but Jigsaw had already been kind of rolling uh-huh. it around. Yeah. What initial connections did y'all get to the industry? Like who was kind of your first character that you knew was a character in this and who was down to do it? Signs and Cozy, I'm sure they were just like, oh, we would love to be involved so we can make sure we got a few of our shitty words into this thing. Um, I did not reach out to them first. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, my first call was to Pornhub. I was like, you guys got to talk. You know, I, we're, I was pretty upfront about what we were looking into and knew that it was important to get executives or upper management to sort of talk about their you know originally it was like your process you know what's the backstory of Pornhub uh and I quickly realized that they were not going to talk and they had a history of not speaking to the media and even when you say Netflix is calling they're like we don't give a shit uh in fact please go away one of the very one of the first people I spoke to was Gwenadora um because she had posted a couple little videos on TikTok and Twitter about being upset about payment processing, getting removed from Pornhub after the Times piece came out. And I was like, well, she seems very interesting and articulate and I should talk to her. And I think she had also been quoted in a couple news pieces. So I knew she was maybe media friendly. She was maybe not going to tell me to fuck off. (laughs) And she ended up being the right person to talk to first because I think she and I I don't know. I think, I think, I mean, I know she's spoken to other people about this and like what she has said was that I think she just, she kind of trusted me and she trusted where I was coming from. I think she had done her research on me and knew that I was like a serious filmmaker. I was not coming from Exodus Cries documentary leg. And she just got what we were doing. I think she appreciated my approach. And so she was like totally on board. And then luckily and gracefully i was like who else should i talk to and she put me in touch with noelle purdue okay who is incredible i'm also i'm deeply grateful for noelle's participant because participation in this because it was you know it was scary for her to noelle talk. was a former employee at Pornhub. yes right? yeah yeah, I still she, wasn't entirely clear what she what what she did there again. She did lots of different things, and that's maybe why it's not right. entirely clear. <laughs> so she started. Um, she was hired by MindGeek by a diff- for under a different platform. Okay. Um, and she was a scriptwriter. And then when they started, so she was on the production side of things. Mm-hmm. And then when they were developing Model Hub, they hired her as sort of the talent liaison in a way. For she was, I think she said she was the first or second model hub hire yeah. to help kind of recruit top performers to join the, the model hub sort of pay set. Thing, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and she did that for a while, but she kind of bopped around. There's like, she was kind of like a 
on camera interviewer for some little like video packages that they did. She's a producer. Mm. She did lots of stuff, but she'd been at the company for a long time and could sort of speak to it at an, from a number of angles. And also she's an incredible porn historian and she's an expert on moderation. She's working on a book about internet moderation right now. Mm. So she, she really is someone who could talk about it from a personal place and also from sort of a, an expert role. Yeah. So was uh, some of this just kind of a, like, okay, cool, great. Thank you. But now who do I talk to next? And was it a little bit of that kind of a referral system? Are you poking around yourself to see who you should talk to? Did, was there anyone you, you interviewed for the doc who was kind of a, a just, you kind of discovered through research? Um, I mean, everybody else we reached out to Noel was the only referral. Um, okay. I mean, in terms of porn performers, we were trying to get people who could speak from a place of sort of seasoned experience and also it felt like they had some kind of vested uh, personal story about Pornhub. Mm. So like the fact that Siri was quoted in the Kristoff piece, Mike Sibiel was somebody from a Free Speech Coalition who we reached out to. And I finally got to find out what he sounds like. That was cool. I was like, I DM'd him like as I'm watching it. I'm like, dude, that's oh, so that's what you're like. He also didn't. I, I didn't look like what I thought he was going to be. Because everybody <laughs> in the industry knows Mike, right? I love, I love Mike Sabiel. He is an incredible person. But no, everybody we we researched, we pre-interviewed a ton of people to mm. figure out certainly who the right people were within the industry to talk yeah. to. Um, what do you look for when you're doing that to figure out like who's what makes someone like a right person to talk to? I mean, they need to be a good storyteller. They need to be unafraid to really tell their opinion about things, about what they experienced, um, no matter how complicated it is. Um, I think that there are a lot of folks, not a lot of folks, I think there may have been some folks that we spoke to that felt like they were really not going to admit that there were problems in the industry or not going to admit that there was something wrong with Pornhub. And it's like, guys, like this is a complicated issue. Let's talk about it in a complicated way. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do in the film. That kind of like honesty, feeling like they're letting their guard down a little bit is important because that's something that an audience is going to relate to. And, you know, somebody like Gwen or Siri, you immediately like, I mean, there's a real likability to the two of them in Everybody in the film, but in particular, those two. Gwen kind of felt like, I mean, so I wasn't familiar with Gwen beforehand. And so I didn't realize like her, you know, how big she was in, in the industry. But she just seems so like the the chick you went to high school with that, you know, who does porn now. Like she seemed like some like so accessible. Like, yeah, I, I know a Gwen. Yeah. And that was really important because I knew that some of the work of the film had to be to make a mainstream audience this is so stupid to say, but to make a mainstream audience see porn performers as human beings. To make them give a shit. Yeah. And they can't give a shit if they just think there's someone you click off of when you come. Right. Yeah. Right. I think you did a great job of that. But but Gwen, I think when you have people who like people feel like they know, I mean, that's what happened during COVID is that when everyone started getting OnlyFans, now a lot of, first it was a lot of people didn't know they knew a sex worker. Now a lot of people know that they know one. And isn't that like also the history with other marginalized identities? Or I mean, like I mean, wasn't wasn't there that the? I mean, I'm just stealing from the movie Milk, but wasn't the line that like in the '60s, like if they know a gay person, then they're two times more, they're two to one to vote for us. 
type of a thing. It's like if they know us in real life, then they see us as humans and then they see that our rights actually matter. Yes, 100%. And I think that that is, I mean, that's my greatest hope for the film. And I've heard that it's already, I mean, I've heard from people in my own life, but also... Um, you know, Siri was interviewed in Expos by Gustavo Turner after the film came out being like people from all walks of life who know me are telling me that they're talking about sex work in a very different way now. And that is, yeah, it's all we could ever want from the movie. Uh, if that's the one takeaway that people take, if that's the only takeaway, if it's that, great. And I know I said this in the segment a couple of weeks ago. It was like, I felt like Money Shot is a great companion piece for the person who read the New York Times op-ed. Mm-hmm. It's, you know what? Fine. You read the New York Times op-ed. There, there are issues at Pornhub. But now this is the thing you also should see. Mm-hmm. And it's not to just like, it's not to cut down this op-ed. It's not to say that whole thing was wrong and all these problems are made up. It's just like, here's a fuller story that also involves like voices that he didn't include. And that maybe like shines a little bullshit on like one of these organizations that always wants to cry about, you know, CSAM. Yeah. I mean, I think it's obviously incredibly powerful to write a story to be like, Pornhub was infested with rape videos. People are horrified because it's horrifying. That is a very persuasive way to get people to want to do something to facilitate change. I totally understand that. But that's not the whole side of that's not the whole story. You know, what happened was the whole part of the story that they didn't talk about is that you know, when you try to put restrictions on these platforms without understanding the people who rely on these platforms to make a living, you're going to hurt a lot more people in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is a good companion piece. I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people who see Money Shot have to read the op-ed, but I think if you've read the op-ed, it's very important to also see Money Shot. I agree. What sort of roadblocks did you run into making this movie, uh, aside from obviously... My geek doesn't really want to talk to you. I mean, that was the biggest one and very frustrating. Was uh, was including the stuff um the the Canadian sorry to interrupt, but the Canadian Parliament like do they call it hearing? Like mm-hmm. what the, all that hearing footage with the execs was mm-hmm. was that a product of them not talking and finding a way to get them speaking some of the questions you would have asked them? Yeah, totally. I mean I am so happy that that footage exists because it's the only way we would have actually been able to include them. Yeah. So the and now they can't be like, well, our voice wasn't in there. Pfft, you were under oath, bro. <laughs> totally. So, um, yeah, the parliamentary hearing on it was this investigation into MindGeek and they interviewed the two main executives of MindGeek and the um, the manager overseeing Pornhub and. Yeah, they, so yeah, these the Zoom videos were recorded, so we could have them speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was pushing for interviews with Ross Antoon or David DeSillo, the two sort of top CEO and CTO of the company, for over a year. And I would talk to my contact over there, you know, every month or two, being like, we got to do this. It's going to look really bad if they don't participate. Mm-hmm. Give me somebody. That's actually how we ended up including Asa Akira and Natasha Dreams, who are both porn performers and producers in their in their own right, but also uh, sort of spokespeople um, or amb- they're brand ambassadors yeah. for Pornhub. Because I was like, will you just give me somebody like, would you give me an ambassador? And yeah. they're like, yeah, actually, we'll give you two. <laughs> and it 
I mean, I am so glad that we could include them in the film, but it was also very frustrating because I was like, I'm not going to ask these ambassadors questions about how the inner workings of your company, you know, how the inner workings work because that's not their job. Uh, And actually, I think it looks even worse on them that like they would even think of that to be like, oh, well, you, you can't talk to our CEOs, but here are our brand ambassadors. Uh, who are not briefed on any of this information. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask them. That's disrespectful to them and what they do. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was super frustrating. Um, uh, I mean, I I did try to get Lila Micklewaight. I had hours of off-the-record conversations with her. Um, oh, so, so she did speak to you, just not on the record. Like she yeah, wouldn't she, wouldn't, the she wouldn't sit for an interview. Sure. And because they were all off the record, I can't tell you why that's fair but i can say that i was very transparent about what we were including in the film mm-hmm. and she declined to participate without betraying that she's off the record so obviously you're not going to say like what she told you Mm-mm. off the record that given that were you asking her stuff like background just to i guess be like fine if you won't go on the record can you just help me understand a landscape or did you feel like you gained any understanding of anything from speaking with her even if you can't say what yeah, I mean, I definitely gained understanding of what she was trying to communicate to people. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what else I can say. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I think that her, I think that the trafficking hub movement and like Asa Akira talks about this in the film, like they're their approach to this topic is very effective. It's effective the way that the times article is effective about just in a very narrow lens saying what this main issue is and people are upset about it as they should be. Um, But, you know, I wanted to get into nuance and she wasn't interested in nuance. I mean, she didn't say she wasn't interested in nuance. Sure. I can't say what she said. Yeah. But it was obviously frustrating for me because I always want people to share their side of the story, whether I agree with it or I don't agree with it. You know, I wanted her to be able to be a part of the conversation because she is a part of the conversation. And she knows she's a part of the conversation. So Because she's made herself very loudly part yeah. of that conversation. Yeah. So I'm disappointed that she couldn't find a way to be comfortable being a part of the film she's not at and cozy right she's still because exodus christ is a separate thing still right? yeah I'm and making sure I, yeah, yeah and and actually i don't uh trafficking hub movement is not really a part of exodus cry anymore either okay okay it's kind of its own i think she has formed her own thing what's your read on her like um i mean she is a very articulate charismatic person you know she is at least the person who i spoke to is very much the person that you see in these videos she is very persuasive she is very well read she is on a mission uh you know 
She's interesting. She's a fascinating character. I love. I'd love to talk to her, but she blocked me after the last time I said, "Why'd you?" Yeah, see Sam. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to her because she is very clear-headed about what she is trying to do and what the problem is, and yeah, I think she's fascinating. I, yeah. I, I if she's out there listening to your podcast, uh, I still would like to talk to her. I find her deeply fascinating. Yeah. Some villains are very fascinating to talk to. I want to talk to them. I've, <laughs> I've talked to a few villains on this show. I'm just like, I'll sit down with you with your bunny ears, Franklin Vo. Jesus Christ. What you know when when you're going into well, I guess one um, just to close a loop on thing. Were there any other like major roadblocks you found uh, trying to make this flick, or is it be, beyond the the Mind Geek uh, Association? Yeah. Okay. I'll give I'll give you two more. One, um, I. Th- think we grappled a lot with whether or not to include uh, someone who did have non-consensual material posted on Pornhub. There were a lot of roadblocks for that. Mostly the biggest one that I really respect is that these were people who were traumatized by having a camera stuck in their face. And I don't want to do that to them. I didn't, I, I don't want to be an instigator of, of re-traumatizing somebody. And, you know, that is like some of the, the anti-porn kind of criticism coming at the movie is like, you didn't give survivors an opportunity to speak for themselves. And it was like, well, I actually feel like that's really dangerous and I don't want to re-traumatize people. And also these people are caught up in litigation and you can't, I can't talk like Michael Bowie, a lawyer in the movie. I can't talk to his clients. Danny Nico- uh, Danny Pinter from Nicosi, a lawyer in the movie. I can't talk to your clients because you're in litigation. Yeah. And then the other the other piece that I think is more of just a humorous uh, <laughs> roadblock is that you know Netflix did greenlight a documentary to make about the porn industry, and I kept on being like, "How much can we show in this movie? What do we need to blur?" And they'd be like, "Well, why don't you send us a rough cut and then we'll tell you?" And so there were lots of rounds of blurring. Uh, particularly, yeah. There's George so Carlin much said, "I just want a list." Just tell me what I can't say. I won't say it. Just tell me what I can say. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. We learned after the fact and we just so much got blurred. I mean, the stuff that when we when we shot actually on, you know, we shot on a porn. We yeah, shot, you shot Siri doing a, a threesome scene with Brie Mills. Totally. And and you don't actually show. I mean, Siri corrected me and I guess I have to go rewatch to, to confirm. But apparently there's like a nipple. But but you don't really show the sex happening when you are shooting a porn set. Right. Yeah. But you do show some sex happening when like people are scrolling through porn clips. Yes. Yeah. And that was the stuff that got heavily blurred. Heavily blurred. Yeah. Gotcha. You wanted to leave it all natural? <laughs> um... I wanted to clear as much as I so not uh, any thumbnail that you see that's not blurred in the film is because we got explicit permission by the copyright owner. To oh well, that's show a re- it. I mean, I think that's a good reason. Yeah. Totally. So I, we were trying to clear stuff to be like, we don't need to blur it because they said it's okay. And then they were like, <laughs> you gotta anything that was penetration, all of the erect penises on a series computer. Which actually we shot out of focus anyways because those guys did not consent to having their penises on Netflix. Okay. But they want we had to blur them even more. <laughs> Hard dick scare executives. And I guess executives are mostly men, so I guess like yeah, men men still scared of dicks that are not theirs. But Right. <laughs> right. We can show Gwenadora's breasts, no problem, but a hard dick, 
terrifying as if like a, a dick can't be hard for just to be that maybe it's the more maybe it's 9 a.m man maybe i just woke up okay uh like patreon used to uh, up until somewhat recently allow uh or i guess they still do if you are marked as an adult like an adult page which i had to do a lot of fighting i had to do like a year plus of fighting to get my adult thing taken off I, I volunteered into when they introduced this idea of like an adult page and then like that means um if you go there you don't actually just initially just see your patreon page there's like a 18 plus warning thing there's certain like you get a little extra there's a little like a little extra eyeball on you mm-hmm. right and so i and i and i just thought well i talk about sex so therefore i'm adult page they just meant porn but they wouldn't say it so i mistakenly took marked myself and then it took like over a year to get it off but they had like explicit guidelines about the like type of nudity I could post. And frankly, I was like, well, if I have this tag, I'm going to use it. Uh, Cause my, my listeners for some reason, sometimes want to see me naked. I disagree with them, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but, but it was like, they explicit like soft penis is okay. Hard penis is not okay. Even I, even if I'm not touching it, can't, I'm not touch. It could just be there. Not okay. It could be a full body nude, Hard dick, not okay. Soft dick, okay. And can't we all agree, soft dick's not usually the the prettiest version. But it's not threatening, that's why. Exactly. Not a threatening exactly. thing. Exactly. It's just so weird what heart, how scared they are of the hard dick. Mm-hmm. Unless it's their hard dick. And like, you know what? We could probably show me fucking Siri because like, that's pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of editing, I, I, it sounds like. Okay. Yeah, lots of blurs. <laughs> From my Ask the Guest channel in the in the Champagne Room, our Discord server, uh, one of my Patreon members, Chuck, he asks, what was your most interesting takeaway about the industry and about performers uh, that you learned in the process of making this film? I mean, there's so much because there was so much I didn't know going into it. Certainly, I think the financial hustle was big, like this idea that they can't just depend on one platform to be like here is my website and you will go to my website and you will pay for my videos ah, you know pay for videos yeah what like, <laughs> the fact that they that it's like that diversification yeah. is important not just so that you can make the most money but to protect yourself for when sites come down i think i think the censorship was the biggest thing the social I, media censorship social media censorship the banking censorship yeah you you just you had no idea I mean, the number of people I spoke to that they were like, oh, yeah, I got my bank account shut down and I couldn't get my money back out at my bank account because my bank found out what I do for a living, even though what I do for a living is legal. And also I pay taxes. I, yeah, I think all of the different ways that you were censored when you were a sex worker, uh, it was shocking to me, completely shocking. And, and then doubly shocking when you found out, oh, if I just like say I agree with them, I, they may come down on me too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, and then I think the other, the other thing that was fun and also surprising was just being on set. Uh, you know, we, we were on a few other sets that did not make the cut. So I got to hang around a few sets. Like how similar the porn industry, the way that the porn sets work to documentary and other, you know, whatever mainstream production. It's all the same. Yep. <laughs> often all the same people um but that it was just like oh i'm on your set you're on my set it's all the same uh i I felt a real kinship when you got to your first porn set did you have like a idea in your head you're like brace 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 yourself suzanne i think i mean probably in my head that i was like a little bit more informal or like low budge Mm -hmm. uh but it wasn't 
there were whole crews running around. There was like a PA, like, you know, making sure IDs had been documented and COVID tests and masks. And uh, yeah, that it's just like, it is just like any other production set. Uh, and maybe that shouldn't have been surprising to me. And, but it was very endearing. I felt very much at home on a porn set. Yeah. You know, was this, where's this rank in terms of difficulty of making a film in regards to, in comparison to your other uh, docs that you've done? This was the hardest film I've ever made And you did one on the Trump life. administration. Yep. And this was harder. Yeah. Sorry, more difficult, I should say. <laughs> it was harder and more difficult. Hey. Um, yeah, I, porn is one of the most polarizing topics on earth mm-hmm. on earth and so i think there was this high wire act that i felt like we had to do in making this film to make sure that like we got the s- story r- right in terms of who we were representing in it and um there was a lot of fear around i think all of the ways that very public sex workers are concerned about their safety when they speak out about these issues. Myself and all of the sort of key people who worked on this film with me are also worried about that for ourselves. So I knew that it was risky, um, that there were maybe going to be angry people coming after us on social media, certainly, but like, I don't know, in real life. I mean, these are real concerns that sex workers face every day that I knew that in telling the story, I was potentially putting myself uh, in that risk too. And I felt like this story was worth taking that risk, but I, I understood it. And I understand it every every day now that the film's out there. But yeah, I, I think people have really strong feelings about porn. People have really strong feelings about like who, you know, Whose responsibility is it when children see porn? And why didn't you talk about that in the movie? You know, there's people have such strong feelings. And I think I felt the weight of responsibility going into making this film in a way that like when you're attacking the Trump administration, I got like an army behind me Uh. that they're like, yeah, you know, there's not quite the army when I'm like, I support sex workers. It's a harder it's a harder road. It's, 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 yeah, it does not get the same support. And I hear, but I hear you when you're like, oh, people want me to tackle all the things. And I'm like, I guess that's why you need that subtitle. It's like, this is the Pornhub story. I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, this is this story. And, um, you know, thanks for taking the human angle on it. That ad tech uh, version would have been, you know, really <laughs> big snooze fest. I don't think anyone would be tweeting about that. No. Yeah. Chuck also asked and asked the guest, he asked, do you want, do you watch porn? And if so, what's your favorite genre that you'll admit to? <laughs> um, to be totally honest, I don't really watch a lot of porn. <sighs> I know. I watched porn when I was younger because I was curious to be like, what does various kinds of sex look like? Um, and I, I'm... I think I'm most interested in it from like an artistic expression mm-hmm. uh, because I think that porn can be art uh, or can be provocative. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think 
the stuff that I found most interesting is like the more niche kind of avant-garde stuff. Um, like modern niche avant-garde or like that weird 70s shit? Weird 70s shit. <laughs> um, what was that movie? Um, oh. Is it like the big famous one? Yeah, yeah. Deep Throat. No, 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 not no. that one. Not that he does Dallas. No, give me a sec. It's like this cra- This woman's like abducted and she ends up like going down a slide and there's like all of these dicks when she gets to the bottom of the slide. Um, what? I mean, I watched a really weird shit in grad school. Um, <laughs> it was like a really freaky 1970s, like hallucinogenic, crazy. It was a crazy film. That's the kind of stuff that it, because yeah. like, I think naked bodies are really beautiful and, uh, I, some of the stuff that was made in the 70s was beautifully sh- it's shot with like costumes and on locations and there's like color palettes and it's shot on a film and it's just like gorgeous I, I mean I love that stuff well Suzanne thanks for chatting with us uh thanks for your time uh thanks for a little behind just thanks for like giving me an idea of like what I could expect from Layla one day if I uh, ran to her at a coffee shop <laughs> pr- the thing is you'd probably like her she is pretty if she didn't have such a shit opinion um <laughs> but i'm sure we will like, get into a riveting debate like at a coffee shop yeah i'd be down yeah like i said if you're listening come on the pod let's fucking get it away i'm come on i know i mean i will say when i interviewed sheree deville at that time i was still trying to get lila to be interviewed and sheree was like put me in a room with her also, I'm not going to call stop calling her Layla until uh, you unblock me on Twitter. How's that? Uh, but where, you know, where can more people? I know, obviously, Money Shot, the Pornhub story, it's on Netflix. Uh, but where can people go to find you, follow you with that where you're not censored? Where do you want people to go to check out more of your work? I mean, I don't have a very public facing social media platform, but I am on Twitter at Hillingers, my last name with an S on the end. So if you want to look at retweets of me <laughs> tweeting other porn performers, that's basically what I do there now. But yeah, other than that, I go to my IMDb, check out my other movies. You'll see a giant cross-section of things that have nothing to do with porn. Uh, yeah. Money Shot has its own uh, IG page, that's correct? It does. It does. Thank you. Uh, it is Money Shot Movie. I say with a question mark. I think that's right. I'll double check. Uh, you know, as always, everybody, links, show notes. When you, when you think show notes, I want you to think links. When, I, when you think links, I want you to think show notes. I want you to go into the show. So you want to check out Suzanne's work, my work, Patreon, Discord. Go to the places. Click on some buttons. Have some fun down there while you're watching. Well, not while you're watching. Throw your phone across the room. I told you last time. I'm going to say it again. Go into a different room. Plug it in the charge. And then you sit down and you actually take in money shot the Pornhub story. It's very good. I very much enjoyed. Thank you for making it. And, uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody? I want to say this movie is only an hour and a half and it moves really fast and there's amazing people in it and it's fun. And titties. I mean, if any... There's a few titties in there. You want them to come for the higher brow reason, but if it gets you in the door, there's titties. Yes. There's enough porn stars in there that there's a favorite of yours in there somewhere. Links, everybody. All the links. Where are they? Say it with me. The show boats. Notes. I know how the words work. You want to tap on some stuff. You want to click on some stuff. You want to follow some things. In the show notes, you'll see all the links that you need, including tickets to the next Naked Comedy Show at Hacienda. 
We have sold out every Naked Comedy show so far. So the sooner you get your tickets, the better. You want to go with a bunch of friends? Buy them in bulk soon. Please don't run away from this outro just yet. And uh, again, there is going to be a bonus episode with Suzanne tomorrow on Patreon. You know where to go to, to, to check that out if you want to. What I want to say to you is my nine-year anniversary is next week. It's uh, April 16th marks nine years of me oversharing my sex and dating life on the internet. Many of you have been here since pretty much the beginning. I'm looking at you, Rhonda. I'm looking at you, Jeff C. Dervla. Yeah, I know you've been listening quite a, quite a long time. I know who the OGs are. And, I, you know, it would mean a lot to me if this month of April, year of our horror, 2023, I would very much appreciate if you would celebrate nine years of the Man Whore podcast with me. And frankly, you know, look, COVID did a number on our numbers here. Um, and it, I, a lot of sex shows did not fully recover from the pandemic podcasting hit. I was one of them. If you post on Maine, that is the number one way people discover new podcasts. Their friends telling them most of the time via social media. If you could do that once this month, mean the world to me. But I know a lot of you don't want to post it publicly. I understand. So the other option that would be great is if you send the link to this podcast to 10 people who like comedy, who like dating and relationships, send this link to 10 people you think like to laugh, who like to laugh at sex jokes. They don't need to be non-monogamous. They don't need to be kinky. They don't need to be queer. They just need to like conversations about sex or like funny, you know, jokes about queefs. That would mean the world to me. And if just sharing anything about the podcast to anyone who knows you in the real world, if that's really going to muddy some things up, you could also go to like my Instagram or Twitter. Just share one of my totally safe for work tweets. My Instagram now is just becoming like screenshots of like my jokes. And a lot of them don't even have to do with sex and dating. There are totally vanilla ones you could share. And no one at work is going to suspect anything of your private life. If y'all will celebrate nine years of podcasting with me this month by helping promote the show, post just one time on Maine, send the link to 10 friends privately, or just share one of my more vanilla pieces of funny content from Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you know, give it a retweet, share it in your story. It's a great way to say, hey, thanks, Billy, for nine years of podcasting. I mean, you can also always just throw money at me. That's always the best thank you. But I always like to, you know, in these economic times, I want you to have like a free, no cost option of feeling like you did your part of of giving back for what is now 482 never missed a week episodes. I love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in every week or whenever it is you listen to this thing because, hey, like this is podcasting. You got agency of when you listen. It's 2023. I hope in 2026 someone right now is listening to this outro right here. And maybe our society will be in a place where they're like, why are so many people weird about sharing a man who podcast on social media? Don't y'all know that Billy Persida is famous? <laughs> we hope. I'll get sappier next week, everybody. But for now, careful with the overshares and stay slutty.